Happy Resurrection Easter Sunday 2020 like no other one you've ever had in your entire life. You know that's true. You know that's true. You know this is different than any Resurrection Sunday that you have ever experienced in your life, right? I mean, we get to come to you, uh, you know, if you're at home, which most of you are supposed to be at home. So if you're at home, for the first time, we're just coming right into your home in a way that we never have before. Right? So, good things are happening in 2020. Right? It may look like, well, what about this? And what about the job? And what about this? And what about, they're, they're shutting this down more and more. You know what? You cannot shut down the power of God and the word of God when you believe in your heart and you speak with your mouth. That word will go through the natural, temporary world and it will make a change and it will cause a change. And that's the, that's a, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Let's start out with that verse right there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. It says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, but uh, at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so we look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We look to him and we look to him on the cross. Let's turn over to John chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32, he said, And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. There's something about when Jesus was lifted up on that cross that made him different than any other man. People that were lifted on that cross before or other crosses before, they were guilty and therefore put on a cross. He was not guilty yet put on the cross. So I want to read to you uh, um, a quote or you know, there, there's a, there was a, a Broadway play uh, called St. Joan. It, it had to do, uh, start Joan of Arc, you know, basically retelling parts of her life, you know, in a dramatic sort of way. It says, when Joan of Arc uh, knows that she has been betrayed by the leaders of her own people and is to be burned at the stake, she turns to them and says, I will go out now to the common people and let the love in their eyes comfort me for the hate that is in yours. You will be glad to see me burnt, but I will go through the fire and I will go through into their hearts forever and ever. That is a parable of what happened to Jesus. His death upon the cross made him go through the hearts of men and women forever and forever. You can look in history, uh, world history, and find the greatest conquerors who ever lived. Alexander the Great. You can look at Caesar. You can look at some very evil men so, uh, and some men that were not so evil. But you can find out that their memory fades and fades and fades and their kingdom fades and fades and fades. Yet Jesus, who was not guilty, but took on the sins and iniquities and the punishment for all of us who were guilty... His memory lasts forever. His memory lasts forever. And what he did is forever touches our hearts, 
and is forever etched on the board of our heart. What Jesus did. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 says, Love never fails. One translation says, Love has no end. Love lasts forever. So the title of the message today is Love Lasts Forever. Love Lasts Forever. Jesus said, uh, And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Let's back up and let's read in verse 23. And I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. John chapter 12, verse 23 in the New Living Translation. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into His glory. I'll tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I'll do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some of them thought it was thunder, when others, uh, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, The voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging the world has come, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said to this to indicate how he was going to die. Listen to that, verse 31. He said, when Satan, uh, the time for judging the world's come, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And then if you go back up to verse 24, he says, if a grain of wheat doesn't fall into the ground and die, it remains alone. Jesus did not want to remain alone because he wanted you and he wanted me to be part of his family. And what had to happen for us to be part of his family is just like Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole in the wilderness and it brought health and healing to anyone that would have a steady, constant, absorbing, attentive gaze looked like that. Jesus was lifted up on a pole so that we could all see him throughout time and eternity lifted up as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world and whoever would look would live. But he said, if that grain doesn't die, it remains alone. And then he said that the ruler of the world, it's time for him to be cast out. In other words, through the foolishness of the cross, Jesus came and took the very keys that the devil himself had seated into mankind 
to get a grip and a stronghold on our lives and to get a grip and a stronghold on the world system, Jesus came and he stripped those keys from the devil. He said, no longer are you going to dominate the ones that I have set my love upon. No longer are you going to take from me and steal them. I have come and now this is being fulfilled when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Wow. So we see him lifted up, but on the cross is where his blood was spilled out, where his very life came out of him. And that life that flowed out of him, his, his life blood, he then himself took that blood into heaven to the true holy place, the holy of holies, where, where no one could go except the high priest once a year. No one could go. And that, the priest would go with great fear that if I do something wrong, I could die. Some people still try to approach God that way. If I do something wrong, I'm going to die. He's going to kill me. He's going to snuff me out. He's got a big fly swatter and he's going to hit me down. No, that is not God. God is a God of love. That is the devil who has deceived you into putting his attributes on God. The devil tries to say like, uh, you know, I am greater than God. I will ascend up uh, to the, the throne of the Most High. He wants to put himself in the position of God. He wants us to see him as God so that we respond to him. But he has no love in him. John 10, 10, Jesus said that the enemy has come for this reason or these reasons to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Luke Did I stop talking? <laughs> Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Just seeing if you're paying attention. You paying attention? Praise the Lord. Verse 1, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they, praise the Lord, that body was gone. Uh, that body was not stolen like the, like the people tried to blame. Uh, it, he was risen. As they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. My nose is itching, praise the Lord. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? So why do we sometimes look among the dead for Jesus who is living? Why do we look and treat him as though he were some of these other, uh, like Caesar or somebody like that, like I talked about before, like he is the same as them? No, he, he stooped to conquer. He, he came down and put himself on that cross and he bowed down. He said, I can't, he that wants to be great among you, let him serve. And he said, if a wheat, if a wheat doesn't die and fall to the ground, it's going to remain alone. All of those men remained alone. But Jesus, when he died, he rose again and he rose again as the firstborn from among the dead. That means that you're never too dead for a resurrection. That means that you can live again. That means that your life can mean something again. 
but the only way your life is really going to mean something deep down where it's satisfying to you and satisfying to your heart is when you get your purpose and the plan of God for your life. Because God has a specific plan for you to fulfill. I don't care if you're 85 years old. I don't care if you're 95 years old. I don't care if you're two years old. God has a plan for your life. If you're still alive, God has a purpose and a plan for you to fulfill. And if you do it by faith in Him, by faith in the blood of Jesus, in other words, don't look at your own faults and failings and shortcomings and even the natural things. Don't look at your age and say, I'm too old, or your age and say, I'm too young. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and find out that Jesus himself took your infirmities, took your sicknesses. Do I need a tissue? Praise the Lord. All right. Don't be distracted by the tissues. Don't be distracted by the itch in your nose. Just look to Jesus. That's temporary. That's subject to change. You stop thinking about it, it'll stop itching. Praise the Lord. So when we see him on that cross... We see what happened to him on that cross. We see what was on him on that cross. We see our sins on him. We see our sickness on him. We see our poverty on him. You know, really, you shouldn't even call it our poverty. It's the devil's poverty. Shouldn't call it our sickness. It's the devil's sickness. Shouldn't, uh, you know, shouldn't call it our sins. It's things that he uh, tempted us. And, you know, the devil is mean. He'll say, like, he'll tempt you, make it look so enticing. Actually, he makes it look godly sometimes. Like, oh, this is the thing you should do. And then all of a sudden, he sticks his foot out, he trips you, and blames you for falling. Right? Man, don't fall into his trap. He is a deceiver and a liar, and he wants to entice you, get you in, so he can get his grips on you, and then blame it on you. He is a liar, has been a liar from the beginning, will always be a liar. He's a liar. God is not a man that he should lie. Praise the Lord. God is faithful and God is true. So, where did I leave off? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? So, sometimes we look among the dead people that are living for someone that's alive. Well, what do I mean by that? You know, uh, some people are dead while they live. They have no purpose in life, uh, except for maybe they have a, a temporal purpose. I'm just going to live and make a lot of money. Well, I'll tell you what, how many people right before they pass on to the next world say, I wish I would have made more money. How many people have you heard that have said that? I, you know, I should have just made a little more money. Should have just lived in a little bigger house. Should have just had a little nicer car. No, when it comes to the end, when you're passing over to the next world, relationship is probably the greatest thing on your mind, greatest thing on your heart. You cannot take wealth of the world into heaven. Why would you want to stain it with that anyhow? Not that wealth is bad. Uh, you know, uh, Paul, uh, the Bible says, I desire that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. It's the, the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's not money itself, but it's the, when money has the wrong place. When run, money has the place in your heart that God himself should only occupy. 
right? So there is a place in your heart that only God should occupy. And that place is a place where you act in faith. And from that place, you look, you see him on the cross, you see what he did. But not only did he die on the cross and took all that on the cross, he rose again on the third day. Like Jonah was in that fish, that big fish for three days and then came out. Jesus was in the earth for three days. Like that seed of wheat, if it doesn't fall into the ground, it can't multiply. This is what had to happen. All the law and the prophets had to be fulfilled so that in fullness and perfection, He could come back like a mighty rushing wind, like a mighty fire and burn on the earth and the hearts of men and women so that He could come to live on the inside of us and that our lives could be forever changed that we would never be the same again. And when you receive Jesus, your life is never again the same. Everything from the inside changes. And that inside change affects outward changes when you actually live from the change that's happened to you on the inside. Your whole perspective changed. You try to be full of doubt and it's hard. Like you want to doubt and all of a sudden you have uh, this inward knowing and prompting coming, giving you words to stand on, words to stand up tall. Because God loves you, made a way for you, and He changed everything, whether you're going to be conscious of that in your mind or not. Praise the Lord. I could go so many places there, but I need to keep going. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Jesus rose again. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what He told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that He would rise again the third day. Then they remembered that He said this, so they rushed back to the tomb to tell the eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Can you believe it? They didn't believe it. Those holy apostles who walked the streets with Jesus didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up, ran to the tomb uh, to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings, and then he went home again, wondering what had happened. So he went and saw the empty tomb, saw the garments, the death garments that Jesus had wore, and he was like, I wonder what happened. I wondered what happened. Maybe he should have listened to the women. (laughs) The same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. Like, where have you been? What things, Jesus asked. The things, so you have to know this. Just because he asks you a question doesn't mean he doesn't know the answer. (laughs) What things that happened to Jesus, the man of Nazareth, they said. 
He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they have seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people! <laughs> you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his glory? Then Jesus took them through the scriptures, uh, the things concerning, or explaining from all the scriptures. What did I do? I skipped. All these things before his glory. Then Jesus took them through the scriptures, uh, the writings of Moses, and all the prophets, explaining all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. By this time, they were entering Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, Stay the night with us, since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and at that moment he disappeared. Isn't it amazing that sometime, sometimes the very thing you're searching for, as soon as you see it, it seems to disappear? In other words, you have what you need. Uh, you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision for Jesus. Uh, and you're looking for some like tangible, natural thing you can see and feel with your senses that will respond to your senses, but the whole time you know in your heart what needs to happen. You know in your heart what needs to occur. Verse 32, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Didn't our hearts burn within us? Now, if, you're, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I want to invite you, examine your heart. If you, if you are born again, and you have accepted Jesus, and you are part of the family of God, look to your heart. That's where God will speak to you. Look and see. Don't His words burn within you? Uh, don't you sense what He's saying and how He's directing? He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And the only way that you're going to fulfill that is by faith, by your trust, putting your trust in Him wholly solely, in other words, Him only and wholly, completely. Him only and completely, that you look to Him. The answer, if you're born again, is on the inside of you. The answer, if you're not born again, is knocking at the door of your heart. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart saying, will you let me in? Will you let me come into your life? Will you let real life come into your life? And if you do, your life will never be the same. In just a few minutes, we're going to give you an opportunity to come into the family of God by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Don't resist 
the tug of the Spirit of God who's tugging on your heart, who's speaking to your heart. Don't get all distracted by deceptions that the devil himself would try to bring or just natural thoughts would try to consume you like machine gun bullets and say, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? No, 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 no. Just like I would say if you were having family trouble or marriage trouble, you know, go talk to that husband or wife from your heart. Don't fake it. Don't say something you know you're supposed to say because you're supposed to say it. No, you open up to them. Open your heart to them. And that's what I'm asking you you to do today. Open your heart to Jesus. Open the door of your heart to Jesus and let Him come in. Let Him bring His life into you and into your life. Amen. Verse 33, And within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were talking and walking along the road, how they had recognized Him as He was breaking the bread, and just as they were about to tell it, Jesus Himself suddenly was there among them. Peace be with you, He said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Do you know, when you start to tell about Jesus, you start to tell about His death, His burial, and His resurrection, which is the message of good news, or the Bible calls it the gospel. When you start telling that because you believe it in your heart, supernatural things can happen. God will show up on the scene. God will show up. In magnificence. You'll see miracles. You'll, you'll know because why? People will realize God, God just showed up. He's, he's speaking to me. Sometimes you'll see people get healed. Why? Because the same power that was in Christ when God raised him from the dead is in that message that is an eternal message. The message of the gospel is not just bound to 2,000 years ago. You had to be there on the scene. No, you can visit that event right now by trusting God and believing what he said that, when, that he raised Christ from the dead. Skip down to verse 47. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Now, I don't like that translation because that's not accurate. King James is a much better translation of that verse. It says um, that uh, repentance and remission of sins should be preached to all nations. Why? Because yes, God will forgive your sins but He remits them. In other words, He removes them or expunges them from existence. So you don't just have sins that have been covered. That's old covenant. The new covenant is better, established upon better promises. And the new covenant, in the new covenant, our sins are removed from us. In other words, it's no longer somebody look up your account and they say, okay, where's your sins? Where's your sin? And somebody say, I can't find your sins. You say, wait a second. I know that... I committed them. I know that they are there. You better look again. And they look and they look and they look and they look at that account and they said, well, uh, it seems like every place that in most people it would say sin, sin, sin. It just says the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. 
And the blood of Jesus has no sin. It expunges all sin. And so, uh, that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached, and you are witnesses of these things. And now, behold, I send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay in the city till the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Now I want to read to you um, a couple verses from Ephesians uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 19 through, well, probably I'll read all the way through verse 23. They're not going to be able to put this scripture up on the screen because uh, I'm reading this from an older translation called the Carpenter's Translation. But I want to read this to you, and I want you to listen with the ears of your spirit or listen with your heart. Let, let these words from the Lord penetrate into your innermost being. Verse 19, Ephesians chapter 1. Calculate, if you can, the gigantic power behind all of this. Sons quickened into life and consciousness. We say that we believe, yes, what a miracle that is. And it is a miracle that we can believe. Uh, he gave us faith so we could believe. It means that there is a bridge which joins time with eternity. A road that leads from the earth all the way to heaven. And the feet of believers have been put on that road. There are what are called seven wonders of the world. One of them is at Ephesus. There are great feats of architecture. There are great products of the sculpture's art. But this is the wonder of the universe. It does not mean that the hand of man was excuse me, that the hand of man has reared a tall structure pushing up a little way into the air, it means that the majesty of God came sweeping down from heaven and that the infinite has domiciled among us. In other words, that means that eternity has come and lived among us. Verse 20, we see this power above all in the victory of Easter. Death was till then the great prison keeper. Once the dark gates had closed upon human life, there was no return. That was it. Once you died, that was it. You could not come back. Or if, as in answer to the prayer of Elijah, or at such a summons of Lazarus come forth, the gates did open, one here and uh, there and returned, it was but for another period of mortal life. But this time, the power of death was broken. Yes. Hallelujah. A body lay lifeless in the sepulcher behind the great stone in Joseph's garden. God's finger touched him and he sprang to life not back to the former earthly life with the limitations and circumstances uh, where are, of course, the necessity, necessary conditions of a genuine, genuine humanity, but to a life, a new victorious life. I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Isn't this good? I love this translation. Christ is in countless ways the reversal of human expectations and in no way more startling than by the resurrection. 
If there was one thing that all men had willy-nilly to acknowledge, it was the fact that at the end of life comes death. Christ lived and died. Death had his usual triumph, but it was short-lived mastery. Death's pale flag was hoisted for a day and for a second day, and on the third day it was hauled down, and the Lamb of God flying his own flag was raised from the dead and entered into his glory. That's what we're celebrating today. Thank God. It was the beginning of the resumption of the original glory which he had with the Father before the world was. But that glory was touched now with an added quality. The victory had been won within the terms of human life. The risen Christ victorious mankind. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know what that means. Well, I don't know what that means. I only know a little of what that means, what I'm trying to say, is that Christ being risen from the dead is our victory. It means mankind, because he came as a man and did what he did as a man and was victorious as a man. That means the freedom that he won through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, through his humbling himself and dying on the cross and taking for me and for you sins, iniquities, patterns of sin, his doing that was man's victory because a man won it back. A man lost it through Adam, the first Adam, but the second Adam, Jesus Christ, won it back on legal terms, on just terms. He got us back. He bought us back. He paid the price. He paid in full and he paid more than enough. You might say, well, well not enough for me. Well, you think you've come up with a sin or some creative thing that you've done that's greater than the power of the blood of Jesus? No, there is nothing greater than the power of that blood. And that blood was shed for you and for me. And that blood still speaks today, the Bible says. That blood is in the true holy of holies. It's speaking and it's speaking over your life. It's speaking not guilty. It's speaking sins removed. It's speaking my child, my son, my daughter, my love. Who Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Hallelujah. In what we call the ascension, which follows hard upon the triumph over death, the Son of God finally resumes the attributes of the Godhead. But he is still the Son of Man, ambassador of humanity, high priest on earth, he has taken our nature, not for one human generation only, but so as never more to lay it off. And thus it is that in him man is now lifted to the divine level where God is. You see, he came where we were so we could be where he is. He came and got us. He was not satisfied to live the kind of life he was living, the satisfaction he had without us. Because he said, I want them with me. God said, I want you with me. And I'm going to make a way where with, what, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible to him that believes. If you can just believe and you can believe, you can believe. You can believe. 
Verse 21. Yes, I'm still reading in it. <laughs> Consider for a moment. He got a little long-winded. Consider for a moment what this means. In the world beyond our sight, as well as some evil spirits as yet unsubdued, there are spiritual beings against authority, thrones, dominions, princedoms, virtues, powers, the tetrarchs, the satraps of the celestial empire. But Christ is over all, yes, and must ever be. Whatever ministers of heavenly state our risen selves may encounter in life hereafter, and whatever hierarchy may be gathered rank upon rank about the throne, Christ still will occupy the throne above every kind of being that imagination can conceive, present or future, good or evil. Christ is supreme. Verse 22. But perhaps someone will say, what is this to us? We do not doubt that your picture is true enough and that the Lord Jesus is above all, but heaven is far away. My brothers, heaven is here. The same Jesus who is exalted at the right hand of God the Father is the head of the church. Within ten days of his heavenly crowning, the faithful of the earth were greeting his return in the Spirit. He began at Pentecost to have for the second time and this time until the end of the world an earthly body. That body is the church. Of it we are living parts. I, Paul, you people of the seven cities, and all other faithful souls are limbs, eyes, hands, and feet of that Christ body. The body is the instrument which every person has wherewith to accomplish the purposes of his will. In the church, the purpose and will are those of Christ. We are the instrument, my hand, or your ears as you hear them read aloud, your feet as you go about your Father's business uh, and your own, are doing what Christ wills to be done. To Him all power is given in heaven and earth. He reigns in glory at the right hand of the Father, yet His earthly body, the church, has only just begun to have a life. It is yet in its infancy. We are the primitive church. There is vast human material to be gathered in. One by one, as we are converted and baptized, we fill in the outlines. Man the bare benches. Realize the vocations. Given human flesh and blood to the divine intention. And so, though it may sound paradoxical to say this of the perfect master, Christ is more and more fulfilled. Therefore, I say to you, as to a company of bell ringers, Tune in your instruments, ring in the Christ that is to be. Amen. I love that translation. Hallelujah. Ring in the Christ that is to be. Tune in. Christ is the fulfillment of the plan of God for you, for me, and for the entire world. God was not caught off guard. He ordained Christ as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The devil didn't understand it, thank God. The world didn't understand it. The world crucified him and in so doing fulfilled the prophecy 
The Bible says that the devil would have known what would have happened. He never would have crucified the Lord of glory. The devil thought, oh, I got him now. Look, he's on the cross. I was able to outsmart him. I tricked him into giving up his own life on the cross. He's so foolish. Look what he did. Now I got him and forever I'm going to reign. But what? know what happened? The sins and iniquities of all of us came on him. And then the Bible says that Jesus himself took those and went to the very pit of hell. And he stole the keys of death hell and the grave from Satan himself and Satan's plan that he thought was so perfect was completely turned upside down and destroyed because death could not hold Jesus. Death could not keep him down because the finger of God came on Jesus himself and raised him from the dead. The spirit of God raised him from the dead and he rose as a victor as a victorious man so we could live as victorious humans, victorious men and women here in this life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you rose Christ from the dead. And then when he rose from the dead, he rose free from those sins, free from those sickness, free from poverty, free from every form of the curse in every form. Father, I thank you that his victorious resurrection is our freedom when we believe. I pray right now, Father, for every person that's listening right now, those that don't know you, I pray right now that your spirit would be strong on their behalf, that they would sense his presence and his moving, that they would understand and receive in their hearts uh, your will for their life to come into the kingdom of God. Amen. Still in an attitude of worship, an attitude of seeking God, Psalm 62, verse uh, 5 through 8 says, Let all them... Let all that I am wait quietly before the Lord. My hope is in Him. He also is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O oh, my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him. For God is a refuge. Maybe you're watching today, you're joining us today, and you feel like the enemy is trying to reach you. You feel like things are shaken, like there is no hope. Put your hope in God. Put your trust in Him. He is a fortress, and when He is your fortress, you cannot be shaken. He is a rock to where no enemy will ever be able to reach you. Romans chapter 4 says, So the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I've made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham, listen, listen to why this happened. Why did Abraham get this special relationship with God? This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept on hoping. Don't throw your hope away. Put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. He knows exactly where you're at. 
exactly what you're going through, exactly what has happened to you, and he loves you. Abraham's faith did not weaken. He never wavered in believing the promise of God, but actually his faith grew stronger and stronger. Verse 24, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. How are you counted righteous? How are you counted right? If you believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead, he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who's going to go to heaven or who's going to descend down to the earth and don't say who's going to go to the place of the dead to bring Christ back again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and it's in your heart. And that message is the very message of faith that we preach. Listen very carefully. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I have a question for you right now. Is your heart right with God? Look in your heart. What's the condition of your heart? What's really happening on the inside of you? What's stirring on the inside of you? Don't, don't wait another day. Today is the day of salvation. You don't know if you even have tomorrow. But you know who holds tomorrow, and His name is Jesus. And He wants to come into your life, and He wants to give you hope for tomorrow. He wants to be a place where you can hunker down and be safe no matter what happens in the world. No matter how much this world shakes and changes and quakes, Jesus is the rock of your faith and He will not move. He will not be shaken. Upon this rock is how we live. We don't build our house, our place of dwelling on the earth, we don't build it on the sand, but we build it on the rock of Jesus Christ. And that rock is an eternal rock. And that rock is solid. On Christ the solid rock I stand, everything else is sinking sand. My hope is built on nothing less than the blood of Jesus and His righteousness. I put my trust in Him. So right now, what's happening in your heart? In just a minute, we're going to pray. And when you pray with us, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, faster than you can clap your hands, faster than you can blink your eye, God Himself will come on the inside of you and change you forever. You'll have a new life that comes down from above, and that new life is like a fountain of living water. It's like the fountain of youth that you have been searching for your whole life. Your whole life has come to this point for you to make this decision to come into this family. Jesus and God, they will not force you, but they invite you to come. You don't come because of what you have done, good or bad. 
You couldn't do enough good things to qualify. You don't need to. Jesus did every good thing that needed to be done. He paid the price for your sins, for your iniquities. In just a second, uh, I'm going to clap my hands. When I clap my hands, I want, you to, I want you to raise your hand on that church online thing. I want you to make a decision in your heart. Yep, when he prays, I'm going to pray with him. My life's going to be forever changed and forever different. Don't wait another minute. Don't wait another second. Right now, raise your hand. Decide in your heart, I'm coming and I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to live for Jesus. If you decided that, I want to pray a prayer with you right now. You pray it from your heart. Say it with your mouth, just like Paul said there in Romans. You will be saved. Salvation will come to your house today. Amen. Well, let's pray. Uh, close your eyes, maybe, and just, just lift your hands to the Lord. He's where your help comes from. And say this with me. Say, oh God. I'm coming to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross to take away my sins so I could become right with you. I take him as my Lord. Jesus, take my life. I give it to you. I'm going to live for you every day. Father God, I thank you that I am now born again. I am part of your family. And I have been forever changed. Amen. Amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer with us, Please let us know. Uh, we got a form there you can fill out so we can get contact with you. I, I really would love to have your name so that I can pray with you. We're not going to bug you with a bunch of stuff. I don't like to be bugged with a bunch of stuff. Uh, we're not going to bug you with that. We just want to be a help and an aid to your walk with God. If you're in our area, we invite you to worship with us as soon as uh, we're able to meet publicly. Until then, we invite you to join us online and come together. If you're in a different area, you know, you can email us at info at anchordc.org and uh, we'll help you find a church, a good church in your area. And uh, we believe God, his great plans for you and the plans he has for you are not to hurt you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. And that is found in Christ alone. God bless you. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for praying the prayer of salvation. If you did that, if you're here and you, know, you say, I'm a Christian and I don't need to pray the prayer of salvation, but uh, I'm just overwhelmed, well, receive the word that was spoken today. Uh, what, a, what an amazing word from the word of God. And we just thank God for his word. You take all your cares, refuse to have a care. Say, I'm not having a care anymore. I'm not going to live full of care. I'm going to live carefree. Well, you can't do that if you don't live by faith. So put your trust in God. Look to Him, rely on Him, refuse to worry, refuse to doubt. There is not anything that the devil can put on you to try to tie you down that cannot be removed by faith. Have faith in God.